comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. As I read through this chapter, I was trying to find a verse in this chapter that just in my mind would kind of summarize the whole chapter. And your choice may be different than mine, but I chose verse three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. To me, it just seemed to summarize um, the whole chapter here. And of course, that goes against our sinful flesh because we don't like to esteem other people better than ourselves. Our own sinful human flesh likes to put self first, sadly. Now, if you hold your place here, turn me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. Now, this passage here is dealing with husband-wife relationships here. Ephesians 5, 28 and it says, so, so ought men to love their wives as what? Their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. We, we read so much and hear so much today about self-esteem. And even in the Christian realm, we, we, we read so much about self-esteem. People need to have a healthy self-esteem. You know what? We don't need to worry about having a healthy self-esteem. Uh, we need to worry about the other problem. The problem is we think too much of ourselves, not too little, too much of ourselves and too little of other people. That is our problem. But that's, that's the, the psychology that's bled into Christianity. When I was in Bible school, the most popular uh, uh, major at that time in the Christian college was psychology. And, you know, people just love, I don't know, it just seems to foster and feed our pride when we think we can figure out everyone, you know. Uh, and that's kind of what psychology is, is it's, well, the, the, the word means study of the soul. The problem is that psychology studies the soul, the life, apart from the word of God. And even so-called Christian psychology uses the basis of Worldly psychology. My first semester in Bible school, I, I tried to get the prerequisites out of the way as quickly as I could so I could just center on Bible then. And one of them was introduction to psychology for a semester. And about the first thing our professor told us and said in front of us all was, do you believe the truths of psychology are just as true as the truths of the Bible? I mean, the very first day he tried to get us off guard um, as if, you know, yeah, I guess. So he was, if you could pretend this was psychology, thankfully we don't sing to psychology, we sing to God. But pretend this is the psychology, introduction to psychology text in the Bible. The same day, he tried, the first day, tried to get us to put these two on the same par. Are the truths of psychology as true as the truths of the Bible? 
Well, the problem is, is we don't know if the so-called truths of psychology are true unless we examine them by this book. So this book can never be on the same par. No, this book is always the judge of any other books. But you see, he tried to disarm us the very first class period. I guess maybe that's why I didn't, I didn't feel too comfortable there very long. I realized I was in the wrong place in that school. Um, so, <clears throat> but that, that's a huge thing of psychology. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta think more of yourself. No, that's a problem. We think too much of ourselves right now. Um, so Ephesians 5.29 there. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but what? Nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So you don't usually have to worry about someone nourishing their flesh. No, they'll, they'll nourish their own flesh. So it's teaching Husbands, verse 28, to love their wives as their own bodies. There, would, there wouldn't be any marital trouble if husbands loved their wives as their own bodies. Uh, you'd never find a mean husband if that was the case. So, so let's, let's go back there to uh, Philippians 2. So in my mind, Philippians 2, 3, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So, and so I pondered that and I thought, you know, that's, that's exactly what Jesus taught. If you hold your place here, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. That's the same thing Jesus was teaching when he was asked what the greatest commandment is. Matthew 22, 36. And we'll read down through verse 40. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love who? Thy neighbor, thy neighbor as what? Thyself. thyself. You know, where did God tell us, oh, the, the, prob the problem you're having is you don't think enough of yourself. No, the problem is we think too much of ourselves and not of others. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like unto it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. In verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So it's, it's real easy for us to say, oh, I love God. It's, it's kind of like, it's real easy to say, oh, I just can't wait for the Lord to come back. Is that true? How many of you know a perfectionist? Okay. Um, how easy is it to live, if you are not the perfectionist, how easy is it to live with someone who is not a perfectionist? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, is it easy? Probably not. You know, if you are one that, you know, you get home and 
the shoes come off and land wherever they may, and the coat comes off and the hat comes off. And, uh, but you live with a perfectionist, oh, you're going to drive that person crazy. Can't you hang up your coat? Can't you hang up your hat? Can't you put your shoes nicely, you know, in the closet? And so, you know, it's, it's real easy for the vast majority of the population to say, you know what, these perfectionists drive me crazy. But what's heaven going to be like? Look at Matthew 5, verse 48. Matthew 5, 48. If perfectionists drive us crazy... But we say, oh, I just can't wait for the Lord to come back. Well, when he comes back, what are we going to be thrust into? Well, let's read about it. Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore what? Perfect. Even as your Father which is in heaven is what? Perfect. I just give that illustration to say, you know, we, we can say a lot of things. Like, oh, I just can't wait for the Lord to come back. And yet people are not doing what Jesus says. And yet those same people are saying, you know what, I know the Bible says, but this or that, they write themselves an excuse slip. Listen, God is perfect. Perfect. Everything in heaven is perfect. Um, And so on earth, it's, it's real easy to say, oh, I can't wait for the Lord to come back. But if we're not doing what he says... Our words don't really match our actions. Um, notice with me in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It's real easy to say, oh, I love God. I don't know how many people have said to me over the years. I, I ask them if, if they're going to heaven when they die, if they know they're going to heaven when they die, and you get various responses. And, and many, many times people have said, oh, yes, I don't know what I would do without the Lord. Uh, Where are you going to church? Well, you know, I'm not really going. Um, Why? Various reasons. Um, But the Lord says not to forsake assembling of ourselves together. Well, I, I know, but in my situation, this happened or that happened. And so, well, I'm just not going. Um, 1 John 4 and verse 20 it says, if a man say, what? I love, I love God and hateth his brother, he is what? A liar. Many times people will not go to church because they're offended at someone who claims to be a Christian. And that's why they won't go. They won't go. Um, I had someone not too long ago tell me, said, I went to this church and this happened. Offense. I went to this church, and that happened. Offense. So I went back to this church, and this happened. Offense. And after that, I decided I am never going to church again. Um, oh, but I love God. I love God. Uh, but if you feel in the statement, but I sure don't love man. Why? Because people are not perfect. 
People are filled with offenses. It's like uh, Brother Johnson's message, I think it was last week at Hathaway Hills, wasn't it, on offenses. Um, and he warned us <laughs> that 2024, there would offenses come. And how are we going to respond? If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is what? A liar. a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. The Bible tells us if I can't love my brother whom I have seen, but I say I love God whom I've never seen, then I'm a liar. That's what the Bible says. So this is a test. People say, oh, I love the Lord. I don't know what I would do without him. Is that so? Can I give you a little test? Do you love your brother? Um, notice in John chapter 14, John chapter 14. Uh, can I give you a little test here? John 14, verse 15. John 14, 15. If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Oh, you, you say you love God. I'm not trying to judge you, but the Bible does. And the Bible tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. If people were to ask you, do you love God? Our response probably should be, not nearly as much as I should. Because if I loved him as much as I should, then I wouldn't be sinning. I would be obeying every command of his and, and that's what we should be doing. If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, it's like the, the financial guy that when people ask him, you know, how are you doing? And he responds, better than I deserve. Um, so do we love God? Not nearly as much as we should, or we would be obeying him. We would not be writing ourselves excuses. You know, when we get to heaven... There's going to be no excuse that holds up. No excuse. Um, so we may refuse to take the test now, but it will be administered one day. Notice in Matthew 25, this very test. You know, sometimes people say, you know, my job would be great if I just didn't have to deal with people. I've heard many people say that. My job would be so great if I, if I could just do my job and never have to deal with people. And, of course, some people's jobs is entirely dealing with people. But on any job, you have to deal with people. You have to deal with a boss or a customer. So you have to. But here, the test is going to be administered. Matthew 25 and verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. We'll read down through the chapter here. Verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So this chapter is dealing with at the end of the tribulation period when the Lord Jesus comes back as the, the victor and he's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. That's what he's doing right here. He's, verse 31, he sits on the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations 
and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So the saved from the lost. Verse 33, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it, what? Unto me. So it's this matter of dealing with people. This, the, the test will be administered. Now, the, this will be administered to all the living people at the end of the tribulation period. Everyone, this test will be administered. Um, as proof who is truly saved and who isn't. And of course, the, the truly righteous are going to say, Lord, when did, when did we do all these things to, for you? And he's going to say, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. And think in the, in the tribulation period when people are not going to be able to buy or sell without the mark. Think of, you talked about food and clothes. Where are you going to get clothes? Where are you going to get food? The Christians, we're not going to be here, praise God, but where are Christians going to get food, and clothes, um, something to drink, something to eat? Um, who is going to dare to visit them if they're sick? Um, you know, already there's, there's so much tracking going on, and unless something happens, if everyone is still walking around with a cell phone in the tribulation period, it's going to be easy to track people. It's going to be easy to, to see people who visit Christians. I, I mean, if it's like China, with their millions of facial recognition cameras, um, it's, hard, it's getting harder and harder in China um, to go anywhere without the government knowing where you are. So that's going to be the test. And of course, he goes through the same test with the lost and verse 44, then shall they answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So... That test will be administered one day, um, even though people try to excuse themselves today. Well, let's go back to Philippians 2, Philippians chapter 2. So the, the verse there in verse 3, 2, 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, the previous chapter ended with conflict. 
Verse 30 of chapter 1. Having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. When there is conflict, it's so much easier uh, to put ourselves first. It's like if, if something was suddenly thrown at one of us right now, would we duck? Or would we throw ourselves in front of the person next to us? What would be, I mean, a split second, what would we do? Um, I got a news clip today, and there was an officer this week, and an officer was, had somebody pulled over on the freeway, and he was actually on the passenger side of the vehicle. Maybe some of you saw it too. And someone wasn't paying attention to their driving, and they slammed into that vehicle that he had pulled over. And it just, it just immediately threw him a little ways, and then he rolled out of the way and then got up. He just, his arm was banged up. It was just miraculous. He wasn't killed. And in viewing the video, he said, I don't even remember doing that barrel roll after I was thrown. It was just, just come natural. He was just trying to get out of the way. He didn't know what had happened, what was happening. He just, all he knows is he was thrown and he was just immediately, his reaction was to try to roll further out of the way because he didn't know if something else was coming at him. He didn't even know. It was just immediate reaction. So if something is, comes at us just immediately, you know, do we duck out of the way? Or, or would our immediate response be if there's anyone next to us, get in front of them? So if it hits, it hit us, not them. Um, just a split second thinking. Um, and too often... It would be just self-preservation thinking. So, so when there's a conflict, oftentimes people, it's like me first. Um, when, there, when something goes wrong, what do people often do? It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Instead of, you know, taking whatever part of the blame was really due, Isn't that exactly what Adam and Eve did? Notice with me in Genesis 3. Uh, When something was done and it wasn't done right, how did they respond to authority? Um, In in, uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, we'll start in verse 9, Genesis 3, 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said what? The woman. The man said the woman. God comes to Adam. Does he admit that he's done wrong? His first two words are the woman. Adam is not standing before the Lord saying, yes, I have done wrong. Yes, I was there. It says in verse 6 that 
she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. So Adam was right there while the serpent was tempting Eve. Adam, at this point, when God says, have you eaten of the tree? Adam should have, should have said, Lord, I have failed you. You gave the instruction to me not to eat of the tree. And I didn't give it to my wife. Uh, well, she, she knew about the instruction, but he could have said, and I didn't protect my wife from the serpent when he was tempting her. I should have stood up. I should have got into the midst of the conversation and said, uh, God says for us not to eat of it. He was right there, but no, judgment was falling, and what did he do? He jumped out of the way. The woman, the woman, verse 12, the woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. He actually blames God first. Well, the woman, the woman, he blames Eve, his wife, that thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So I was like, he's number four down the line. The woman that you gave me, she gave me the tree, and I ate. Whew, I should be safe. I'm the fourth down the line. I mean, if God's going to judge somebody, it's got to be my wife. And then he's got to judge himself because he's the one that gave me her. Um, so I, I should be safe. You know, fourth down the line. That's the problem. Well, so verse 13, the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said what? The serpent. The serpent. She did the same thing. She jumps out of the way. If you're going to judgment fall, needs to go on the serpent. He's the one that beguiled me and I did eat. And at least she didn't say the serpent that you made, he beguiled me, and I ate. But Adam, Adam tried that trick. Well, so judgment is hands down. It, it, didn't, it didn't help trying to jump out of the way and blaming somebody else. Um, so as we go back to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, in verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." So Paul is writing about this conflict he's facing. He's in prison. Uh, Philippians is one of the so-called prison epistles. He's writing this. He's in jail. So he's writing back to Philippi. We've seen so much about how he poured his life into that place. Um, listening to the Macedonian call, um, going there um, to Macedonia, Philippi being a chief city there. Uh, searching where to start the ministry, and they see these ladies praying at the river, 
And so they preach and teach. Lydia gets saved. Um, they, get th- they end up going back out then to prayer. This, this lady with a spirit of divination about her just pretends, you know, to be their spokesperson. And finally, he casts the demon out. And then Paul and Silas get thrown in jail as a result. But then the jailer gets saved and his whole family. Thinking about all of this, the, the conflict, Philippi was not without conflict. And so he's writing back, chapter 1, verse 30, you know about the conflict, but what, what will help these people to make it through the conflict? How do you get new Christians to not devour one another when it's all of our natural impulse to protect ourselves. So the first issue that gets brought up at the church in Philippi, how do you get these people to not devour themselves? How do you, how do you get them to be mature enough to be willing to take the blame for whatever part is rightly theirs instead of deserting um, their fellow Christians. I've wondered about what's going to happen in Texas. Um, you know, some people are calling for the president to uh, nationalize the, the, the Texas National Guard, to federalize them, uh, to take them over. And I'm thinking, if that really happened, what would those men do? Um, if they're torn between that, well, I have a feeling a lot of them would, would say, uh, well, uh, if, if I have to make a choice, then I'll leave my uniform here and I'm going back home. <laughs> I'm a Texan before, before I'm a, whatever you call the people that let uh, all these illegals into the country. I don't know, I don't know what you call them, but um, what will they do? What will they do? Will they say, well, um, I got to watch out for my own neck first. Uh, You know, if the federal level says now I'm one of their soldiers, well, or I'm in trouble if I don't go along with that, well, I I guess I better go along. Um, What will they do? What will we do this week when conflict comes? Well, we look out for ourselves. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. If it's some danger coming, well, we think of whoever's beside us, or, well, we just duck or jump out of the way. And, um, someone was just joking around, someone with a friend, and uh, they were in bear country, I guess, and talking about what would happen if a bear came upon them. And the person said something like, well, all I have to worry about is if I can run faster than you. What? You mean you wouldn't care about me? You wouldn't stay to fight the bear? All you care about is if you can run faster than me? That means the bear gets me. But is that, is that us as Christians? Paul's trying to help these, these new Christians and say, hey, 
When the conflict comes, don't duck, don't run. Uh, verse 3, esteem other better than yourself. I pray that we could have that humility this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, we are so, so selfish. When blame, when danger, uh, in so many instances, Lord, our first impulse is just self. And Lord, I, I pray that as Christians, that that would not be our first impulse. I pray that it would be putting you first, thinking of others before ourselves. Lord, please bless us this week and use us. And Lord, I pray that you'd rebuke the devil. We know that he wants to stir up conflict. Please rebuke him soundly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless